Pleased to have on the latest episode of 42 to Doomsday, uh, noted Doctor Who New Zealand fan John Preddle. John, welcome to the podcast. Good evening, or well, good morning, well, depending when this is going out, but good evening. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. As another podcast says, hello future people, uh, many, many years down the track. <laughs> what did you get for Christmas? <laughs> Does Christmas still exist uh, in your future time? It's Christmas every day. <laughs> for a Doctor Who fan at this time, yes. All right, John. So uh, we, we've asked you, and we're going to be talking uh, to John about uh, his, uh, his his book, uh, Time Link, and also uh, the major part of the interview will be about his uh, fantastic site, uh, fantastic resource, uh, Broadcast, uh, where he uh, uh, has uh, dug deep into the sales of, of Doctor Who around the world over the last 50 years. But first, John, as we do with all our guests, um, you're, a, you're a fan in, in, in New Zealand. What was your experience with Doctor Who growing up? When did you first come across it? And, and what made you become a fan of the show? As a child growing up in New Zealand, uh, obviously with television uh, being a few years behind the UK, my own experiences of Doctor Who on telly um, were yeah, obviously later. Um, but I have very clear memories of of seeing some of the the late the later uh, um, Hartnell and uh, a good chunk of the Troutons when they aired here in the late sixties and the early seventies. Um, so I mean, I mean, as a child um, in my dressing gown eating my dinner in front of the telly on a Friday evening um, and watching the Web of Fear, um, you know, that, that was uh, something which I've always remembered as a, as a as an adult, and to see the episodes again a couple of years ago was quite mind blowing. Um, but yes, I have very clear memories of um, a lot. Uh, of, well, strangely enough, a lot of the my earliest memories as a child are, are all TV related, <laughs> um, just simply because of um, the f- small fact that we didn't own a television as a family. Um, not sure why, but my parents didn't have one, um, and we only rented a television sort of over the. Uh, autumn winter months so for a period of five months every year my television viewing was only a small brief window and so I think as a child who didn't have a television for most of the year I tried to squeeze in as much TV viewing as I could so therefore so yeah so therefore a lot of the stuff that I remember doing as a kid was TV related so you know watching Doctor Who and Lost in Space, Get Smart, um Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, all those shows that I grew up, at, grew up um, watching as a child have very, you know, stuck in my head. Um, but in terms, in terms of Doctor Who, um, we, it was in 1975 that the Pertwee stories finally got to us, but we only saw the colour ones, because by that point all um, the, uh, the BBC had wiped most of the colour episodes, so all we saw at the time were the colour stories that still existed in their entirety. So I was a casual viewer in terms of... You know, I wouldn't have called myself a fan by any means. Um, I, I watched the show when I had the opportunity to do so, so I do have recollection of seeing pretty much all the episodes of the Pertwee um, stories that he aired in New Zealand. But in terms of becoming a fan, it was in... I can pretty much pinpoint the exact date. It was in very early April of 1979 when I read my first Target novelisation. And um, that was pretty much got me onto uh, into watching 
the show and wanting to learn and read more about it. So from from early from from August, uh, April of 1979, I started um, collecting the Target books, um, and then then a couple of years later, uh, I got my first issues of Doctor Who magazine, which I used to get on mail order from the UK. So by that point, um, so, so so from mid 1982 would be when I would call myself a Doctor Who fan. I could recite the story titles off by heart. I knew who the writers were. I could tell you who the script editor was of whatever story. You know those sorts of things that Doctor Who fans do. We make lists. We memorize the minutiae of the show. So yeah. So from 1982 onwards, I would call myself you know a card carrying Doctor Who fan. Um, and then in 1985, no sorry no 1984, I joined a club. It was a science fiction club in uh, in Auckland, in New Zealand, and one of the club members there um, had Doctor Who on video. Mm. What do you have? She. It was a she. Oh, she, sorry. That's even rarer. She um, was in the bootleg videotape network, which and she used to get um, you know, the, the, the episodes, the black and white, the, the nth generation Snow Vision uh, copies of the Hartnell and the Troughton episodes and the John Pertwee episodes. So I, I managed to convince her to do... To, uh, run copies off for me. Um, so this is back in the days when you know, a video, bl- a blank three-hour videotape was about ten bucks. So mm. it was a, um, I was I only just left school at that point, and I was only uh, working on my, my first job. So to afford all these blank videotapes that I would give to her um, was 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 an expensive undertaking. But I was getting to see Doctor Who, actually see it. I wasn't reading about it in the novels. I was actually getting to see it. And then the following year, 1985, TVNZ started screening the show uh, in a run of repeats. So we um, started, they, they, they showed um, the Crotons and the Mind Robber, and then they went into Pertwee. And they played every single episode of um, Pertwee uh, episodes, apart from Invasion of the Dinosaurs Part 1, for some strange reason. Then they started repeating the Tom Bakers, then they started repeating the Peter Davison. So by that point, uh, 1988... Uh, the Silver Jubilee, and we got the Jubilee Weekend, where they um, played all those episodes. Um, I think Paul talked about this when you spoke with Paul Schoons a couple of uh, months back. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and by that point, the New Zealand Doctor Who fan club had been uh, had been established. Um, so yeah, so so going from a casual viewer during the 60s and the early 70s to a Doctor Who fan in the 1980s to being a Doctor Who fan club member in the late 1980s, um, and then uh, yeah, so that's just kind of like it was a progression from you know from woe to go really, um, and I've never stopped unfortunately. <laughs> Sometimes I look back on those days and think, ah, oh, what would I be doing? What how different would my life have been if I hadn't read that Target book? And which Target book was it? It was Planet of the Daleks. That's the best one to start, isn't it? Well, I guess so. Um, it was actually the well, it wasn't the Target book itself. It was that omnibus book. Uh, the Argus book, which had the Genesis of the Daleks and the Planet of the Daleks, the one the um, sort of like big hardback. Oh yeah. Which had been sitting on our bookshelf for well over a year, hmm. but um, well, a couple of years. I think I was bored or something. I thought oh, well, I need something to read, and I just happened to grab this book that had been sitting on the shelf, saying, "Oh, I'll give this a go." And <laughs> yes, well, <clears throat> and, and, and here we, we are today. today. I certainly, <laughs> uh, certainly gone. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a slight a sliding doors moment. If you picked up another, well, exactly, book. exactly. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's funny how these things, you know, from small acorns. And uh, just just looking at your bibliography, uh, John, uh, you obviously uh, you were involved in in TSV 
and the New Zealand Doctor Who fan club. And I think you had a hand in uh, the, 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 the novelisations of Shader and, and Revelation of the Daleks. Is that right? That's right, yeah. The, the, the fan club was set up by Paul Schoons in 87, and I joined the club pretty much straight away as soon as I heard about it. Um, and Paul was editing TSV, Time Space Visualizer, and my very first contribution to the, uh, the zine, I think was issue two, it was either issue two or issue three, and it was a review of the novelization of the Faceless Ones. Um, and then from that point on, I was a regular contributor from, and pretty much every issue there was something from me, whether it was um, some sort of, and a lot, lot of my articles, um, some of them are on the online uh, a version of the the zine. Uh, most, a lot of them are analytical, uh, as opposed to review type articles. Because I think that was where my my skills lay, more in sort of um, looking at the um, you know the continuity in the background of the show rather than putting on my opinions of what the latest episodes were like. Whose idea were, were those novelizations? Were they yours or Paul's or a joint thing? The novelization project came about. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think how it happened. It came about because I'd managed to get a hold of a copy of the video that was doing the rounds. Uh, I think it was one that Ian Levine or somebody had put together for one of the conventions where they had put all the uh, existing footage from the you know the, the, the surviving footage, edited it together, and for the scenes that were missing was a, a scrolling text would appear on screen. So I had, just for my own record, transcribed <laughs> all of that on paper. Now this is all pre, pre-computer days. This is, we're, we're looking um, 88, 89, I think, around that point. So I'd, hand, I'd handwritten a, a complete transcription of the, um, of the video, all the dialogue and all the, um, the stage directions. And I'd shown this to Paul, and he kind of, um, he'd already done a sort of, novelization of the of the serial himself anyway based on the synopsis that was published in Doctor Who magazine issue 81 if I remember correctly um, so he kind of uh, came up with the idea of novelizing the story using my handwritten transcript uh, transcription to you know to put it all together and he typed it up again this is pre-computer day so it was all done on a manual typewriter um, by that point, the running of the club had been passed on to the people in Christchurch. That was Andrew Paulson and Scott Walker. Um, and they were interested in actually publishing it as a book. So the original versions of, of the Stashada novelization was done um, through the club. I don't know how many copies were done, but it was just... It was just photocopied. <laughs> you know, yeah. So straight, straight off Paul's um, manual... Typewriter, um, you know, type typing on a, on A4 paper was then photocopied and published in a little A4, um, sorry, A5 sized um, book. But then um, I'd also later on I'd done a uh, transcription of both Revelation of the Daleks and Resurrection of the Daleks, because by that point. I was aware that there probably was never going to be official novels by Target, and I wanted a written record of the story, just you know, for my own reference. Again, um, Paul came up with the idea of doing the novels. He then said, "Oh, well, I'll, yeah, he was going to do Resurrection." And I kind of thought, "Oh, well, I'll do, I'll do Revelation." Hmm. So my first 
you know, my first attempt at any sort of fiction, because as I say, you know, my, most of the stuff that I wrote for TSV was was uh, you know, non-fiction side of it, so I thought I'll, 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 I'll give it a go. So I, I use again, using a manual typewriter, I um, put out a, um, bashed out a, um, you know, a, a novelization of, of Revelation, which um, was then passed on to the Christchurch guys to do as a book, but for various reasons it didn't happen. Um, because they wanted to scan the text using a you know a scanner uh, to, to convert the text into into um, computer language because you know, yeah I had no no idea about what computers were <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even have one at work I mean this is 1989 so I, I didn't have a computer so I, I was still doing stuff using a manual typewriter um, and they were going to transfer it onto, onto computer and print it off do it that way and that kind of got put aside for a couple of years. And then in 1992, I got my own, my very first desktop PC, word processor. And so I decided at that point I was going to, I wanted to take the manuscript back. So I did it, I started it again. So because I couldn't scan my original typewritten page, I rewrote it out completely from scratch. Oh, God. <laughs> um, and in doing so, you know, made a lot of changes. Um, and it was from that version of the book, which was the one that finally got, published um, as you know, the original version of the books that were then available through the club. But then a couple of years later, Paul wanted to re- reissue them and standardise them so they kind of looked all the same. If you've seen the covers, he wanted to standardise the covers so they kind of looked more like the Target covers, using the right logo and all that, and with Alistair doing the, the covers. So that gave me the opportunity to clean up a bit, to tweak it. I didn't rewrite vast swathes of it, it was just a matter of just the odd bit here and there. So the the version that finally went out and is now available online is the um, is the ultimate uh, you know the ultimate version of it that um, that we did. So it kind of went through three variations, three iterations of it. Subsequent to that, ironically, I've, I've since got hold of copies of the um, the scripts. And there's lots in the script. Like there's always deleted scenes that were never made, or um, scenes that were cut from the from the from the uh, transmitted episodes. Which I kind of look at and think, oh, you know, if I had this, if I had this a few years earlier, <laughs> you know, I could have incorporated them into the into the into the manuscript. Just out of curiosity, did you approach writing the novelizations as the in the same way that the target novelizations were written? Uh, or did you sort of, uh, like the later target novelizations, were they a bit more beefed up in terms of uh, the writing? Definitely uh, modelled on Ben Aronovich's novelization of Remembrance. I think Paul had the great idea that we would use that as the template. In one of Paul's earliest versions of Resurrection, if I'm remembering correctly, a lot of his chapter headings and the openings of the chapters had that... Um, similar to what was in Remembrance with the extracts from the Chronicles of Scaro or things like that. Mm, um, yeah. I was a bit reticent to do that. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to kind of do, do a Terence Dix and do it in that style, do it like a he said, she said. <laughs> At one point I even told Paul, I want to do the novelization like Terence Dix in his he said, she said style but without ever using the word said. I was <laughs> going to use uttered or moaned or you know, just, just use other um, verbs here um, to describe the speech without actually using the word said, but I kind of caved in because it was very difficult to find um, alternative words. You, know, you, you get a bit sick of uh, you know, 
uttered and moaned or groaned or yeah. so my approach of the book was in the TV episodes the action cuts and changes between the various people so you, you'd get a two minute Doctor and Perry scene then you get a two minute Davros and Tass and Becker scene then you get a two minute Natasha and Gregory scene all that all throughout the episode but that looked really crap on the page because you got these sort of blocks of texts you know the, the way Dix would do it he would sort of do them in paragraphs so I would join a lot of the scenes together so you'd get a bit of it flowed a bit better so you'd actually get a longer you'd get a chapter with with um, Madame Cara and um, uh, the secretary rather than sort of bits and pieces so I made sort of little editorial uh, changes like that just simply because it looked better on the page and it made the, the story flow a bit better I added a few scenes here just to kind of explain some of the plot holes that I picked up on as I went through it just to sort of flesh it out a bit really what was the reception to them when they were released can you recall? Very good. Um, there were a couple of reviews published in um, some of the, the fan fan press of the time. Um, I think Celestial Toy Room, which is the DOS newsletter, had reviews. The Australian one had reviews. Um, so, yeah, it was very positive. Um, and the fact that the, the book went out of print, we printed them to order. As the orders came in, copies would be printed off, if I remember correctly. But once they'd all sold out and there was just like a period where there weren't any orders coming and that was it. But there have been since... I, I think I'm aware that people have um, been trying, have been selling them for um, on, mm. e- on eBay for, for ridiculous prices just simply because they are they are out of print. Um, which is why we now made them available free on, um, you know, the, the, as e-books, mm. just to curb the, um, you know, the, the, the price hiking of, of um, people looking to make a quick buck online, uh, you know, on, on the on the eBay auction, which you know we're not not quite exactly happy about. But if people are prepared to pay <laughs> pay big money to to complete their collection, then that's good. I mean, that's 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 a sign that they are popular and that they were received well. And obviously, with you know the, the other books we did, which were City of Death and Shard and Pirate Planet, those are now being being done uh, officially. So. Mm. Fingers crossed that you know, if the BBC never decides to ever do official versions of Resurrection and Revelation, um, Paul's book, my book, <laughs> will be the only ones. Uh. Yeah. Is it is it Sayward who uh, Eric Sayward who is the well the stumbling block is the wrong word, but is it Eric Sayward who the final permission needs to be for those two stories to be released? I would imagine so. He well, it would have to be. He would have to give his say so and negotiate terms. It will obviously have to go through Terry Nation's estate. So there's a lot of a lot of fingers in the pie, I guess. Uh, I don't know quite the uh, the legalities of it all mm. from um, you know that sort of thing. But certainly, uh, before the, any of those sorts of books could ever be published officially, it would have to go through all the the correct channels and make sure everybody gets their slice of the pie. Mm. Which, in the case of Dalek stories, is a very small pie with a very big slice for one particular person. <laughs> <laughs> may as well then jump from there to your uh i suppose it would be your next big uh book you're responsible for time link now there there is a uh, uh a version through telos uh, but before that, I think uh, looking at the internet, it, there was a, a fan-produced one, uh, and that's not to denigrate it, um, a, a fan-produced one from 2000, would that be right? Yes, it was published in 1999, 
was 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 in, first became available. So, what was the impetus uh, behind uh, releasing a book of that nature? Because it does look at the continuity of Doctor Who, doesn't it? That's right. Um, well, Time Link. The the original idea behind Time Link as a book was simply to put together all the various um, theories that I had. Some of them were published in TSV. Um, originally, the idea behind what finally uh, ultimately became Time Link was to do it in a series of series of articles for TSV. Doing, it was going to be a chronology in terms of you know, from the Big Bang through to you know, the end of the world. And I was going to do it bit by bit, so century by century, which was going to be published in TSV. But by that point, we're so looking. Um, mid 90s by that point the publication between uh, the, yeah the dates between the publication of each issue kind of became you know longer and <laughs> wider hmm. um, and it to, uh, it, to me it just sort of, it, it wouldn't have worked to be publishing an ongoing chronology that only you know parts of it were being published every five or six months because there's no, um, I mean, the, the impetus would be wouldn't be there, um, and so I kind of put it aside. All the, all my notes and uh, the various drafts and things that I had put together uh, in preparation for that. Um, a lot of it was still handwritten because, again, this, these are the days when um, you know before I even had a computer, so a lot of, I was still reliant on. Um, on paper, I've actually got a couple of boxes. You know, you're looking at photo, you know, la- large boxes filled with scraps of paper where all my original ideas and thoughts and notes are. Uh, I've filed away. I've still got all that. It's crazy. So the idea then became to probably possibly do it as um, a series of little books or booklets, similar to the novelizations. So do it um, as a as a book through the club. Um, a, one, one of the other things that I'd done was the thing called the Doctor Who Dictionary, which um, was a project which I kind of put together where we were going to do the ultimate. It's a bit like the um, you know the encyclopedia of Doctor Who A to Z, where where we you know, a lot of those A to Z type books that come out only cover some of the the topics. I mean, a good, good case in point being the official A to Z that came out that David Saunders, Saunders yeah. put out, where you know, the, the running joke was he completely left out Castro Valva. So, <laughs> the project that I was going to do would be the ultimate A to Z, where everything, every character, every place, every mention of you know, a spoon was going to be referenced. But that just went, that that just got out of hand when I realised that you know if you're going to mention every time a spoon is mentioned, you got to mention every time a fork is mentioned or every time a, a knife is mentioned, and so you know your categories just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So that got put aside. Um, but we did publish the third Doctor Dictionary, which was just the John Pertwee stories. But then we kind of thought, well, if you're going to do it properly, you want to sort of do the whole thing rather than Doctor by Doctor. So that could, gave me the idea that you know to do a chronology book by book would be a, a bit of a beast because by the time you got to the third book, you'd want to update the first book. Mm. You know, you'd realise things you've missed or it wasn't quite right. So it kind of like put it got put aside. But when I got my first computer, uh, which was I think in 1992, I kind of then started putting my notes into digital form. You know, you talk, you talk, when I say digital, I mean floppy disk. <laughs> um, 
And so, yeah, I, I just sort of started working on um, more, more like indexing my notes into computer form so I could find them. And then as, as, as I started indexing, I started making, you know, expanding on what I was putting into the computer to the point where I just kind of thought, well, forget all this. I'll just bung the whole thing in computer. So over a long period of time, I started just converting all my handwritten notes into sort of, you know, into a digital format. And then started then cutting and pasting it and into in, into some sort of you know, readable format. It was stop and go because I sort of I, I worked on it as and when I could over a long period of time. You got to remember that this is now the '90s, so Doc Two wasn't on television anymore. Mm. So writing a chronology history of the show was kind of fine up because um, you had a stop and an end, unearthly child up to survival at that point. Yep. Was the, TV, the TV movie, the Paul McGann TV movie, hadn't happened yet, so I was working on yeah, a set group of stories, mm-hmm. um, all of which I had. And I must say that what I had was really crappy, ropey video copies of a lot of these things, so I, uh, I didn't have crisp, clear DVDs to refer to, so I was still reliant on um, you know, visually trying to squinting at it. Is that a clock on the wall? Is that a calendar? <laughs> yeah, what's it, what does what that newspaper heading read? I can't even read it. I'll, I'll, I'll have to squint. No, is that a three or five? So there was a lot of information which I just couldn't decipher. Just, I didn't have access to it. Yeah, so over time I just sort of worked on it and it grew and grew and grew and grew. Um, the TV movie came along, so I added that. So over, you know, it took me a good ten years from the time that I'd started on it to the point where I'd had it in some shape or form that was readable, um, I then started putting it together into a publishing um, program that I had, software that I had, and putting it all together. And that was in 1998, 1999. And then I printed it all out and gave it to a um, local public printer, here in, uh, in this town where I live, and um, they bound it all together for me, and I advertised it, and I sold it, and it did very well. And it went through four printings, I think. Yeah, it was printed to order basically. Like I would print off fifty copies because I had fifty orders, and while I was getting those ones sorted out, another ten orders would come through, so I would get another twenty copies run off. Mm. And then by that time, I, I had another. I had another twenty orders, so I was constantly, um, yeah, receiving orders and then public, and then getting copies printed off to meet those orders. So I wasn't sitting on stocks and stocks of um, books. I printed off and sold the copies that were ordered, which was a good way to do it. And that was from 1999 through to 2002. So yeah, a good three years. Um, of of orders coming in from all over the world. Um, I sold a copy to someone in Russia. Um, the last name wasn't Putin by any chance, was it? <laughs> no, just joking. <laughs> yeah. um, I sold copies to Germany. Um, the Russian, the, right, the person who, who who bought my the Russian copy then sent me a couple of Russian fanzines, which were quite neat. Doc, Russian Doctor Who fanzines, which was quite fascinating to sort of, mm. to see. You know, well, not, I couldn't read it because I can't read Russian. But fascinating to sort of see the appreciation of the show from a completely different culture. How did the Russians find out about Doctor Who? Never screened over there, was it? No, they must have. Um, I would imagine they've uh, they would have got copies on video. 
Um, this is yeah, nineteen ninety nine early two thousand. So, um, mind you, um, I mean Doctor Who was screening on the various European satellite stations um, like UK Channel, um, the, the the Super Channel, and uh, Doctor uh, BBC Europe. BBC Entertainment. I know all this now because it's all on broadcast. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they, so they would have had access to the show in English. It would, would have been in English, obviously not. It wouldn't have been dubbed uh, into Russian. So yeah, there, there's certainly um, avenues and channels for them to be able to uh, to see the show yeah. um, fr- from Russia. John, for you doing the the book or the preparation, was it was it? Um, uh, Wanting to get the whole history of the show, the fictional history of the show, in one comprehensible sort of format for yourself. I mean, what was what about the show itself attracted you to it? Was it the the the, the, the continuity, the the fiction? Uh, what was that sort of impetus for you personally, just to do a book like that? I think it was kind of trying to make sense of it all. I think one of the first things I had to crack at was trying to decipher um, and crack the unit years dilemma. Yeah, you know, how the the it's an ongoing thing about the unit years. When were the unit stories set? Were they set in the sixties, the seventies, or the eighties? Um, and one of the articles that I wrote for TSV was the unit years solved, um, which got a lot of positive feedback and that was kind of like I would say what started me off thinking okay what else is there there's the Dalek history so I did do a Dalek history for TSV as well and so I came up with the idea of doing a Cyberman history a a Gallifrey history Earth history so that's where the idea of a chronology started so it wasn't really anything it wasn't a particular interest it just kind of like you know, I got positive feedback from what I'd done so therefore they would, I would expect to get positive feedback from expanding it mm. it was an interesting um, undertaking because what it involved was watching every single episode of Doctor Who or listening to the audio tapes for the ones that obviously I couldn't watch um, making copious notes handwritten notes as I went and then going back and rereading my notes and then deciphering how it all fits into you know the bigger con- the, the, the wider continuity you know there's obviously contradictions that crop up like you know how many Atlantises were there were um, the unit years obviously what order do the Dalek stories take place in you know, etc so yeah it was, it was like having it was filling in a big jigsaw puzzle when Enemy of the World was returned, uh, that helped clear up the dating of that. Yes. <laughs> uh, how did your research match up with the reality? <laughs> I got it wrong. <laughs> I got it wrong. Well, see, the thing is, is that the dates for when Enemy of the World is set is shown on two. There's the plaque in the back of Astrid's helicopter, and also the newspaper. But those um, those images are, appear. Luckily, um, on two of the tele snaps, but unfortunately, the tele snaps that were available to me at the time weren't particularly sharp. So, trying to read what was written on the um, the, the, the plaque on the helicopter and the newspaper um, looked to me like a completely different date to what it actually turned out to be. So, in in, in the in the final version, as we see on TV now, it's two thousand and eighteen. Um, I thought it was 2017, so I was a year out. <laughs> but having said that, I think that was pretty. Um, I, I, I was quite quite chuffed that I was close, which is funny when you think about it, because you know that's only a couple of years away from now. Um, and it's one of the things which I, I wonder if um, the chances of me ever doing a follow-up book 
now is probably very, very slim, just simply because with the new show as it is, trying to make sense of the post-Time War, post-Big Bang 2, you know, a lot of the continuity that's been added to the show since it came back, it would just be impossible, I think, because um, there's just so, so much of the new show contradicts what was in the original, in the classic show, but you can now pass it off saying, oh, it's an after-effect of the Big Bang, too. It's an after-effect of the Time War. It's an after-effect of this, that, and the other. So the, the current show is kind of offered solutions to a lot of the continuity issues that have had, uh, had arisen, which now don't really need much analysis um, or a book to explain them. So it's unfortunately, the um, you know, Time Link's kind of... It's, it's way out of date. Um, it's now kind of redundant because... Uh, um, the program itself has now offered solutions to a lot of those um, what were at the time um, unsolvable. But like a lot of uh, fan writings here between 89 and 2005, it's a fascinating artifact of what fandom was doing and how it was interacting with um, with the show uh, that we all thought was sort of long dead. Well, that's right. Um, yeah, fandom doesn't like a vacuum, so I think... Um, when the show wasn't on, we we filled the vacuum in by being creative. Um, you know, the, the new adventures and the missing adventure books were were, were plugging that gap. Uh, Big Finish then came along and plugged that gap, and is still going on and plugging gaps. <laughs> They're now creating gaps that they can now they can now plug. Yes. Um, yeah, I think it's just just in fans' natures, and it? it's in the fan gene to you know want to fill the gaps. That's right. And in terms of the reaction to it, um, uh, was it positive? And also, did you get people writing into you uh, arguing against your your own conclusions? Well, they didn't write in, but they certainly um, did do so online. Um, bearing in mind that when the book, the the, the, the follow up book, came out um, by Telos, uh, you know, we were an hour in the in the in the internet age forums and online blogging and all that sort of thing were, were big so uh, most of the comments that I'd seen about the book when it came out were were on were online very positive yeah a couple of people uh, made a few comments about it but they were constructive comments so <laughs> you know mm. um, constructive criticism is always is, is, is positive I think and you mentioned tell us how did you um how did that all come about? That you uh, that you had it republished uh, through them. The main reason for getting Telos to publish it was because at that time, now if I remember correctly, it was two thousand and three. So the new series hadn't even been announced at that point. But the people who were printing and binding the books uh, closed up shop, so I, I didn't have anywhere that I could go. So so although the book was still in print. In terms of orders were coming through and um, people were still interested in getting it, I had no way of getting any more copies printed off. So a couple of years passed by at that point, and I just um, I was talking to David Howe, uh, who's the, one of the the owners of Talos, at a, at a convention, and I just happened to think, oh well, I should ask David to see if they might be interested in taking off over the printing of the book for me, um, and that was pretty much it. And they said yes, um, and um, you know, started the process of getting that underway. And then the new series was announced. So I thought, oh, okay, well that's good. Um, that's going to be beneficial because um, 
I can actually now add some new 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 material to the book. So it's not going to be a straight reprint of what I had before. It's actually going to have new um, new material. But the problem was, of course, is that well, I say problem. That's the wrong word. But then the second series in the Christmas special then got announced. I thought, oh, okay. Well, um, uh, well I'm going to obviously want to add all that in as well. <laughs> we might have to push put put off publishing this for another year. And then series three was announced. Ah, okay. And then tortured, <laughs> then tortured was announced. And then the Sarah Jane Adventures was announced. And I thought, oh god. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it took it took another five years from the time that they said yes that they were going to publish the thing to the point where I actually handed them a, a manuscript that they were happy with. You know, it took five years. And by the time the book finally came out it was already out of date because by that point we'd had a whole new series of Doctor Who, a whole new series of Torchwood and a whole new series of the Sarah Jane uh, adventures had already been broadcast. So, yeah, and now obviously the book's horrendously out of date because since then we've had an entire new Doctor. You know, the entire mm. Matt, Smith, Matt Smith era doesn't even get mentioned in Timelink. But that was the main, the main thing was finding an alternative way of getting the book published and printed became what uh, eventually became Timelink it was originally going to be done in one volume, but you've seen it. I'm assuming you've seen it. They actually mm. realised that they couldn't actually bind the book as one. It was physically just, too large. It was yeah. physically too large, so it had to be split in half. But the problem was, of course, you couldn't just split it in half at at, at the midway page count because it was in the middle of a chapter. So I had to actually reorganise the ordering of some of the chapters just to make to balance the book out. Um, so they became you know, almost of equal size. I remember reading your original articles in TSV and uh, when I was getting TSV, and they were always uh, something that I looked forward to a great deal. So being able to have the uh, original volume in my hot hand and then the, 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 the reprints, uh, they're, a facet, they're a fantastic resource, uh, I suppose a precursor in a sense to broadcast, which we'll get onto shortly. Any chance of a follow-up, John? Not at this stage. Um, as, I, as I said before, the book is out of date already, mm. so I would, for me to do a book, uh, an update would be a lot of work, just simply because it's not just a simple matter of adding on extra pages, because just simply because the way the book is is laid out and the the, 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 the format of how it um, of what it presents is that to me, to incorporate all the entire Matt Smith era, what's been done... The main bugbear for me is Miracle Day, the Torchwood um, Series 4, Miracle Day, because how and when does that fit into Doctor Who's continuity? To update the book, I would have to basically rewrite the book from scratch, because I'd have to unpick what I've already done to incorporate the stuff that's happened in the interim. It's possible, like, you could do it as a second book. I just can't see how it could be done. If I wanted to do I could probably do it online, do it as a blog or something, but it's just not on my radar at the moment. Um, there's, there's a lot of work involved. It took me 10-plus years to analyse, just analyse the material before I even started writing it up. I would have to do all the same, you know, with the new material. And as I said before, too, a lot of the solutions and the problems um, about the dating issues, etc., can uh, are already resolved. Simply, you could say oh, it was the time war. <laughs> um, yeah. It was the crack in time. It was you know, the Big Bang two reboot of the universe, etc. Um, all that can be. It's an easy out to explain it. I guess it's it's a cheat way of, of doing it. But as I say, the program's already presented this as a solution. Um, yeah, w- work on it. I guess. So it could be it could be something I might be interested in doing in a couple of years' time if the show ever ever stops, 
if you know the BBC decides okay we've done it we've done 10 plus years that's enough there's now a gap <laughs> you know a, a vacuum I might be interested in doing it but the thing too of course is now we're now in the internet age um and I think so books of that nature may have been um you know maybe maybe redundant now because you know, to put something in print like that which is already 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 going to be out of date by the time it gets to the bookshops I mean I don't know I don't know I'm not going to commit to it I'm not going to say yes I'm not going to say no but it's just not on it's just not on my radar at the moment do you detect any difference in interest in the concept of continuity between those fans who grew up during the classic series and the new fans who've come up with the, the new series is there any anything that you've detected at all well I think the main thing of course is that yeah you know, the online um, community has made um, talking about these things easier. After um, I watch each of the new episodes as they go out, um, I go on to Gallifrey Base and just take a look because there's a season, there's a series nine thread. After each story gets aired, you know, people jump in and talk about it, and so I, I, I have a I have a read through that, and I'm, I'm you know when I read through that I'm going oh well that means I don't have to do that now because someone's you know people have already talked about it on on the thread and they've pretty much already solved any issues there's a goose and a um, gaffs and blunders uh, thread on for each story oh, yes. where, where people talk about you know, the bloopers and you know people people come up with some rather neat solutions to to explain them and they also, there's also people talk about the continuity side of it and a lot of people come up with solutions and I'm thinking well that's what I would normally be doing if I was still doing time link that's what I would be doing. They're doing it themselves, and they're talking about, it, they're discussing it. So it kind of again goes back to my point where it's kind of, doing it as a book is probably now redundant. People would, don't need to read a book to explain the continuity issues. They've got their online communities to do all that. So you know that that, that is the main difference, I think, just simply with the new series and with the computer internet age that we are in now. Just the way Doctor Who fandoms um, has completely mm. changed. So. That's that's the main difference as I see it anyway. It's easy it's easy to talk to people about things immediately because you've got the online environment rather than you know, through a fanzine where you know, months pass between the time it's written to the time people read about it and 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 um, pass their feedback. And before we move on to broadcast, um, are you working on anything else Doctor Who related in terms of you know writing or anything like that or? Um no <laughs> no broadcast. Um, well, in terms of in terms of hobbies, um, broadcast is the only thing at the moment that I'm. Uh, that's always sort of there. Um, but I'm kind of um, well, I wouldn't say expanding on or broadening out from from uh, broadcast, but I'm kind of changing my focus slightly. Uh, we can talk about that later, but. Um, I'm looking at oh well okay so good, a good case in point being just recently we we did a, a an article on the broadcast website um about the radio um version of Marco Polo that John Lucarotti did in the 1950s that's not doctor who related it's got a slight connection um so that's something I'm kind of looking at maybe doing a bit more of um, sort of what 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 it's what we call beyond Doctor Who, where we we might I might start doing sort of articles or broadcast like things which aren't fully Doctor Who related but are kind of 
connected in some shape or form. But other than that, no, that's really all I'm I'm kind of concentrating on at the moment. Um, there's so much going on in my life at the moment that you know mm. um, you, you sort of only got so much time you can dedicate to your to your hobbies. So um, I kind of like you know just put put my put my focus on one thing and that keeps me out of trouble. John, you've 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 mentioned broadcast. You've preempted my first question. What was the original idea behind broadcast? If I knew that, I would be able to sell it, um, <laughs> and we'd pay for it. <laughs> I don't know if there was ever a moment where I can't sign up. Suddenly thought, oh, I know, I will do a website which lists all the foreign air dates of Doctor Who. It just kind of evolved. I think just through through chance, really. Um, in the mid-80s, I had compiled a listing of all the New Zealand uh, Doctor Who air dates. Now, Doctor Who, uh, when that aired here, it did so on a regional basis. It's similar, similar to like an, it is in Australia, where yeah. the different territories, um, the different main cities would screen the episode a week apart. So New Zealand was like that, would screen in one city, one region, then the following week it would be in the, the uh, somewhere else, and then the following week. So the film prints would be... In, um, you know, bicycled around the country. So I, I had compiled a list um, of, of of the New Zealand air dates, and that was done in the 19, early 1980s. So yeah, I'd done that, and then um, in the early 1990s, um, a fellow fan, Graham Howard, had managed to get access to some of TVNZ's um, records, and a document that he found was the film traffic records. Mm. Uh, these are records which um, detailed the film prints that the NZBC at the time had received. It had the uh, various air dates of uh, as they went around the region. So, um, and those dates corresponded with the research I'd done already. So that was great. But more importantly, the records also stated what happened to the film prints after they had um, been finished with. And um, I mean, this this is well you know, well well known that you know, a large chunk of the films that New Zealand had at one point uh, went to Singapore, which was fascinating in itself. Um, and then um, many years later, I think we're talking like 10 years later, um, I travelled to the UK to attend the 2003 Panopticon. And part of my air, f- um, my air route to get there was a four-day stopover in Singapore. So my little brain went, oh, okay, when in Rome. <laughs> As it so happened, the, um, my hotel that I was staying at was uh, a block down the road from the library in Singapore. So I actually, as strange as, as it may seem, I actually planned to spend a day there as part of my, uh, my stopover in Singapore. So I spent a day in the library there going through microfilm copies of the Singapore Herald and the Straits Times, which are the newspapers there. And I managed to find a huge, but not all of them, a huge run of the Singapore air dates. And, you know, that was interesting. The air dates fitted in with the, the dates that the film prints went, to New Ze- uh, went from New Zealand to Singapore. So at least that information was um, consistent. So it, that, that made sense. And then um, I kind of thought, well, I wonder what other newspapers I can track down. And as it happens, the... Uh, one of the university libraries in New Zealand had a run of 
Rhodesian newspapers. So it was about a, two two years after the, I'd done the Singapore. So I think it was 2005. I accessed the Rhodesian newspapers and found uh, a huge number, uh, you know, a large not all of them, unfortunately, but um, of the listings for Doctor Who in the, the Rhodesian newspaper. So I had New Zealand. I'd also done some Austra- uh, research into the Australian air dates at that point. I had Singapore air dates and I had the Rhodesian air, air dates. So I sent copies of all this to various people. Say, oh, look what I found. <laughs> isn't, this, isn't this interesting? And they went, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I kind of thought, well... How else? Where else do I, um, you know, go looking for foreign newspapers? Um, and I went to Wellington, and they had some more Singapore papers. So I, the next time I had the opportunity, I had to go down to Wellington. I spent time in the library there, um, filling in some of the gaps of the the Singapore listings that I had found. So, you know, that was like three or four years after the first run of <laughs> listings that I'd found. So. It was just something I dipped into when the opportunity arose. Um, and at that point, so we're looking at sort of 2006, 2007, 2008, I'd shared my information to various people over in the UK. And it was at that point that um, I was contacted by Paul Venezis, who was, was in, who was interested in my research. I had no idea why. <laughs> um <laughs> But at that time, um, you know, I was happy to pass it on to anybody who could have, you know, used it. And then Paul told me that he was interested in doing this search around the world for missing episodes. So I thought, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Yep, happy to help where I can. And then at that point, I kind of thought, well, I've, I'll see if I can find any more of these listings. There've got to be some. There've got to be some more out there. I'll see what else I can find. And it was then I discovered that the Library of Congress in Washington D.C. had a huge um, repository of uh, foreign newspapers. So I thought, oh, okay. Well, I'm going to be in Los Angeles uh, in February. So this is um, 2009, February 2009. Because uh, I'll be going to the Gallifrey Convention, so I thought, well, I'll fly over to Washington D.C., which I did, and um, spent two weeks, I think it was, there, going through all these foreign newspapers. Um, because it, by that point, I pretty much had, a, you know, fairly not full or complete list by any means of all the countries that Doctor Who had aired, and from which I'd um, taken out of Doctor Who magazine because Andrew Pixley had compiled, you know, the uh, the archives that he published in the in the magazine where they would, you know, break down the story and do a do a complete thing on the making of each story. Mm. And usually buried in the text near the end of it was, you know, and the story was purchased by and screened by the, you know, these these countries. So I, you know, I'd made a list of all these countries that the show had the show had aired in. Wrongly thinking at that time that, you know. Just um, you know, the fact that Nigeria had screened Doctor Who, everyone—this is probably the case—everyone assumed that just because a foreign country had bought Doctor Who, we all assumed that they bought everything, hmm. you know, from Hartnell through the through the you know through the, the current show. Because you because know, John Nathan Turner used to always say in various interviews, you know, Doctor Who is is screened in sixty countries around the world. You know, everyone assumed that means that those sixty countries were screening Doctor Who. You know, now had you know screened Doctor Who. When we talk about Doctor Who, we mean the entire run of Doctor Who. Yeah. So when I go to the Library of Congress expecting to 
to, to find all these listings of all these shows, you know, episodes for you know for, from the complete run. I was quite it's kind of surprised in a way to to see that you know the listings sort of stopped <laughs> midway through the through the through the Hartnell run. But um, yeah, so so that was really really the whole, the whole idea behind it was just because something I was interested in in, in finding out. Um, and I was happy to share the information as I as I was finding it with 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 the people who I'd assumed um, would have been interested in in um, you know uh, in that information as well. So it just came down to re- doing the research and then compiling it all into big spreadsheets. Um, and then when I realised that I had as much information I could get out of Library of Congress, I thought, okay, where can I find some more newspapers? So I did some research and I found that the National Library of Australia in, uh, in Canberra had a whole lot as well. So I planned my next trip to Aussie. So I spent two, week, two weeks in the National Library of Australia, um, filling in even more gaps. And then after I'd done that, I thought, right, where can I find some more newspapers? It's like, it's like an addiction. You, know, you, mm. you, you can't stop. And I thought, right, well, I've been to America. I've been to Australia. Where else? Well, obviously England. Where, where can I find some foreign newspapers in England? Did some research. Oh, look, well, that, you know, the library, the, the British Library. Um, has got a newspapers office division in Collindale, so uh, I planned a trip to Australia, uh, to, to the UK. So I spent two weeks <laughs> um, pouring through dusty old microfilms in 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 a library in Australia, and uh, sorry, in in London, filling in even more gaps and realizing by that point that what we knew about the foreign screens of Doctor Who was completely wrong. Um, and yeah, so it was just. It built up from there, really, um, and it got to the point where I think, well, there's gaps here. I, want, I need to fill in the gaps. I need to fill in the gaps. So where else can I go? So I've, I'd actually been to the Library of Congress three times. I've been to the uh, library in Canberra twice, um, and I've been to the one in London once. But a lot of the foreign newspapers are also available online mm. if you know where to look. So it was just a matter of digging and, and, and Googling and, and whatnot. And, and finding all this data and filling it in and putting it into a spreadsheet. And that's when you start seeing patterns. You realise at that point that certain countries only got you know these blocks of stories and no other. So all that stuff about 90, uh, 60 countries, uh, you know, 110 million viewers around the world watch Doctor Who, well, no, they don't. That's just that's bollocks. Um, it's a, it's an, an, an accumulative figure. 60 countries have seen something yeah you know, have seen some some doctor who at some point over the last 20 years but they certainly aren't watching it now so some of those sort of myths and fan rumors um were were were, were completely demolished um as a result of all that which is quite which was which was quite good because i thought that that's 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 perfect and also by that point um paul had shared this paul venezes had shared um some information he had gathered from the uh, the infamous clearance history sheets mm which supported what I'd already found, which was good because it means I n- no longer had any need to look. We knew that Kenya had only bought these stories or such and such a country had only bought these stories. I'd found the listings for those stories. I therefore knew I didn't need to keep looking for any more, which was which was a big plus because I, I, I would have had no idea otherwise. <laughs> I would have probably just kept going and, and pulling my hair out going, why can't I find... You know, the web of fear screening in in Yugoslavia. Why 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 can't I find the listings for it? Ah, simply because they didn't buy it. End of story. You know. I thought you were going to say why can't I find web of fear part three? Yeah. <laughs>
Well, I've, I've seen it, so I did way back in nineteen literally way way back in nineteen seventy one in my dressing gown in front of you know, as I, as, I, as I mentioned before. You, know, you did. I'd seen all these things. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of research, are you the the main researcher, or do you have like a team of people now, or is it just mainly is it yourself? Well, it was certainly just me just to begin with. Yeah. Um, and then I met up with John um, Lovely in um, at, at Gallifrey one year. It's kind of kind of one of those fortuitous things. Um, we just happened to be sitting next to each other in line to get into one of the panels at the convention and I just happened to start talking to him, you know, as you do. <laughs> um, and it turned out he was, he, he, he was actually, um, he had been compiling um, the American screenings. So it just made sense to um, share our, um, to share the data. Plus he was the one who was actually building the website. He, so the web the, the website itself is uh, his his baby and Stephen Hill. Um, whereas the research, the foreign research, is pretty much all mine. So once the site went live, we then got people would contact us say, "Oh, I've got this," or "Would you like? Would you be interested in this?" Or if I do this, yada yada yada. So it's yeah, I mean, it's very much a a community thing. Um, mm. It's yeah. The, the, I mean, the, there's a list of all the contributors on the uh, on the main page, which is a massive list. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I mean, people have been have been critical that you know we don't share or people don't share anything. Well, that's rubbish. I mean, look at the huge list of names. I mean, there's two lists. There's a list of people who contributed or uh, provided information before we went live, mm. and then there's a list of people who contributed after we went live. And the list of people who contributed after we went live is huge. <laughs> Yeah, and these are people who just email or um, you know go on the go on the forums or the websites or whatever and just pass on information, which we then added on and um, you know give, and um, credited them for it. The bulk of the writing and the research was mine, but it's certainly um, you know I've had help, <laughs> which is great. You know that that was the whole purpose of the thing was that once 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 people knew about it, we wanted people to contribute because we wanted it to be as accurate as complete as possible and that can only be done by um, people offering to help yeah now at this point you've covered off on uh, where everywhere basically are there you know blank spots on the on the sort of map that you still think need to be uh, filled in well we've pretty much covered all the countries around the world that we can that we know of from the BBC's records that aired Doctor Who um, there are gaps in terms of when they aired. It's just simply because we've not been able to find the newspapers uh, or a complete run of newspapers to give us that information. So there are lots of well, there are, there are places there where the information's missing, but we've made a good a good crack at it. But it's always there in the back of my mind that you know, in the event that I can f- help fill in the gaps, I will I I will do so. But I'm certainly not. Um, I don't plan to go back to the Library of Congress or um, to, to the National Library in, in Australia because I've pretty much done and got everything that I can get from them. Some countries were very easy to research. Others were a complete nightmare. Like Australia? <laughs> well, just simply because the information is uh, either lacking or there's just so much of it. I mean, Australia is uh, a good case in point because you know, you've got your, your seven territories... Um, screening the show, then you have all the repeats, and they're all the, the repeats are not necessarily in order. Um, I've pretty much got 
I'd say the Australian side of it's 90% complete. I know there's gaps in some of the... Um, like Western Australia, there's lots of gaps there. Um, what's on the website for Australia at the moment is... Um, I've got a huge amount of material which I just haven't had a chance to even get to yet. Completely overhaul, um, updating the, the air date spreadsheet. I've got a lot of... I do have a lot of information that I've since gathered for some of the Australian screenings that I just haven't got around to updating yet, so that'll happen sometime soonish. <laughs> but in terms of the research, it's always going to be a work in progress, just simply because there's always going to be something new that um, comes along um, that either changes what we've already got or adds to it. We're adding more than we are changing, which is good, because it means if we're, we're not having to change anything, it means we've got it right. And always room for improvement. So, John, having access to um, the air dates, say for a country as big as Australia, where, as you say, there's seven uh, territories that it can be screened in, having access to the air dates, has that helped debunk certain myths? Like, I have read online that, say, for instance, power of the Daleks, based on the air dates, m- there must have been more than one print or set of prints of the story in existence. I mean, has being able to dig into the, the, the air dates helped clear up some mysteries of sales and also created more mysteries? Um, well, it certainly cleared up a lot of the mysteries, but um, I would think some of them um, still don't quite make sense, if that's not a contradiction. Um, I mean, a good example goes back to my point about the 60 countries around the world screening Doctor Who. I mean, until you actually discover go looking you'll you'd always accept that to be the case um another good case in point being um it was long it was a long established that the crusade was never shown in um, middle eastern countries because of its um you know political and cultural uh, um negativity um which is why there's a copy of the web planet that says next story is the space museum but the thing is, is that the research that I did just showed that even the Web Planet didn't go to the Middle Eastern countries because they only got a package that stopped with the the rescue. So, why, therefore, it does is there a copy of the Web Planet out there with a completely different next episode caption? There's reasons for that. I mean, it's just it's a matter of working out or digging to find out why that is the case. I'm, I'm still not 100% sure why that's the case, but I've offered solutions online. Um, the thing with Australia is that the mechanism by which um, the what I call the parallel screenings um, occurred um, isn't hasn't been fully answered. Um, but I would just say watch this space. <laughs> ah. um, another thing that was recently debunked that I'm quite chuffed about is the Mormon master plan. Well, that's a fantastic article that you've written. Yes, that's great. Yeah, the master plan episodes were found in, in the Church of Mormon. That was one where I, it was something that had been niggling at me for a while. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I need to dig into this. I need to actually do a bit, a bit of proper research into it because no matter where you read online or in, in, the, in books or whatever, they all tell a different, completely different story. So I thought, well, there's a story here. What's the right one? So, again, it was just a matter of doing a bit of digging. That took ages. So, I mean... Um, by the time I started on that, to the time it went online, it was like 18 months. <laughs> so these these things aren't easy. Um, also, sort of digging into the background of television international enterprises. I mean, th- you know, th- those are the sorts of things that are quite um, that, that 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 are you know, are interesting to try and 
not not debunk. That's not the right word. I seek clarity to or to, mm. clar- to clarify. So yeah, so there are mm. myths and things about the broadcast history of Doctor Who around the world, which you know people have been talking about and wondering about for all this time. Um, some of them I've made attempts at trying to solve, just because I need to to try and make sense of the listings that I've got and the, and the air dates that I've got. I think well, hold on, this is what the air dates say. But people have been saying that it's this. Why is it wrong? Why is there a contradiction? You've got, you've got to try and um, establish it because people will be reading the website going, well, he says it's this, but I was told that it was this. Which one's right? Well, I'm thinking, well, I'm right because the newspaper listings clearly state that this is the case, but why is the, the long-running myth um, the way it is? Try, and, try, to, try to debunk it, try to untangle it, try to explain it. Um, so yeah, there are certain things out there which will ever be fully explained. So there's certain things which I try to resolve just simply because I'm interested in it. I mean, the Mormon thing, the as mm. I mentioned uh, a while back, the, there was the the, the the Marco Polo radio play. Um, that that came about just simply because um, Randy Howell, the the, the Canadian um, uh, researcher who helped me with that, he was the one who through his own volition and um, f- grateful to him for doing so he was the one who put together a lot of the um, uh, did a lot of research into the Canadian broadcasts which we updated earlier this year where he did what I did basically going to the libraries and rummaging through all the, the Canadian newspapers looking for the regional screenings um, and, and also just um, uncovering the fact that the CBC the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation use kinescope copies of film prints uh, in order to get the series to screen in some of the more remote um, places in Canada. Uh, so for the few towns that weren't connected to the network, they got they wa- managed to watch Doctor Who because they were given a film copy that was actually copied off the broadcast. So these are film prints that were run off during the transmission to be used in Canada. which was um, And because he'd done all that with the Canadian broadcast, I thought, well... Hmm, okay, if he's got access to all his Canadian newspapers, I, I gave him the idea, thing. well look, I'm interested in doing a bit of digging about this radio play on Marco Polo, would you be interested in doing some, you know, digging in the newspapers to see what you can find, and, you know, the, the result was uh, put online just uh, the other month, which was quite, um, quite good, because, you know, that, again, that was something which nobody knew much about. And what, what has been published about mm-hmm. it uh, in press, etc., uh, again, it was quite contradictory. There's a list of it at the beginning of the article where, um, you know, the, the various interviews with John Lucarotti himself, he, he he's never quite sure how many episodes there were in the year the thing was broadcast. So, you know, by finding that out, we can now clear up, we can clarify, um, not debunk, but we can clarify um, what actually happened and, and put it on, you know, and, and put it on record. Which is always good. So I'm, you know, I'm always open to um, doing more of that. The go again goes back to my original comment about going beyond Doctor Who and actually using the resources that we've built up to go outside that and do similar research on other programs, you know, which hopefully people will, will will be interested in. I mean, if they're interested in reading about it, I'm interested in researching it. If I'm not, if I don't get bored by it, then you know I'll continue to do it because I, I find it quite fun. <laughs> With regards to those kinescopes in Canada, were they provided to smaller TV lo- local TV stations there, or were they actually used to be aired in like town halls or something like that? No, this is off television. Okay, yep, fair enough. 
They weren't used for um, cinema. They weren't used for projecting. Doing broadcast has been quite educational because you learn sort of various things about um, about about films and pro- um, programs, and you know, it's just the way TV stations operate. And by knowing how the TV stations operate, you get a better feel for if this is how that TV station does its thing, then other TV stations would work on a similar operate similarly. So therefore, you get a better feel for how programming was purchased, how it was auditioned, how it was selected, how it was transmitted, and then how it was disposed of at the end of the day. So by understanding how TV stations did its did their thing, you get a better understanding of just how the programs were distributed. Thing without knowing the background of all that, you're kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're digging in the dark. You've got to know, you've got to understand that sort of thing as well as, you know, do, to do research, you've got to kind of get a feel and understanding of what it is you're actually researching. You know, you can't, you can't do it blind. And as part of that process, aside from going through archival documentary material, did you did you make a decision to try and contact TV stations or ex-staff of these TV stations to get a more uh, personal uh, backgrounding of that sort of uh, issue? No. Um, the only times where I've done that is for the New Zealand TV. I did. I mean, I've contacted and spoken with a lot of people involved here. Um, but in terms of foreign TV stations, no. That's a dumb thing to do. The reasons for that are quite self-explanatory. Yeah, this, I mean, the danger is, of course, is if you're doing it remotely, you don't know who you're talking to. If you're going to do something like that, you need to speak to the people who are in authority to be able to, you know, pass that information on to you because, because you know, you could just be ringing. If you're going to ring up a TV station blind, you're, 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 you're going to just create havoc. I, th- I think mm. that's fair enough. And in terms of um, you've you've debunked a few fan myths and you filled in the gaps on some fan knowledge about uh, you know say the, the the Mormon Church issue. Are there any other mysteries or myths or what you believe to be myths that you you, you are looking towards um, explaining? Yes, oh, but I won't say what. <laughs> Sometimes these things are just a happy accident. Like I don't plan. I don't. It's not like I plan to go out and 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 debunk the the Mormon. Yeah, you know, what happened with the Mormon Church? It's just I just thought, oh, okay, well, this needs further further clarification. It needs a bit of you know, um, and it just kind of like you know, you 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 get a flow. You start you 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 know, you, you go you go, you research you research again. You need to back back up what you found. You know, if you find something online that says one thing, and then you find something else that says another thing, you got to keep looking. You can't just stop there. You got to kind of work out which one's right or which you know or why one is right and one one is wrong you're going to just you just got to keep going so um a lot of the time the stuff that I'm working on at the moment is just stuff that I've had either on simmer for a long time like I've got files of stuff which I've got sitting on my desk here um I mean I've got a I've got a, a folder here which, which is related to Thunderbirds, <laughs> hmm. uh, which I was going to do something about this year because it's the 50th anniversary of when Thunderbirds came. Over, you know, it w- was was aired. It's now November and it's still sitting there untouched. So that that's the idea of doing anything about that this year is completely gone. Now the year's almost over and I just haven't had time to do anything with it. So yeah, I've got. I mean, I've got little things pottering that I've got that I've been pottering away at, uh, but I won't say what they are because. They're far from complete, and you know, I'd rather wait until it's 
it's finished, uh, and I can put it online before even you know before announcing it. Um, I mean, because it'd be crazy to to start talking about them now, because uh, I might lose interest. <laughs> I might lose interest in it and not bother doing it, and um, then you know, if people are aware I'm already doing it, they're gonna get they're gonna get fidgety, wondering where it is. So I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather not announce anything at this stage. Apart from the Thunderbirds thing, which <laughs> may, scoop, there's a scoop for everyone. May or may not happen. Has knowing where the prints were sent to made it easier to find them? Well, I hope so. I mean, put it this way, if I if, if having done all of this research um, and then I decide later on that I was going to go on a tour around the world to go digging through um, TV stations around the world, I at least know where to look. <laughs> mm. I've given up looking here in New Zealand, put it that way. Um, from the research I've done and the people I've spoken with and the places I've been to here in New Zealand, I'm pretty satisfied that short of a film collector having the odd couple of episodes of something in his in his shed, that the chances of finding anything here in New Zealand are fairly slim. Just simply because I, I, know, I know enough about how TVNZ and the NZBC worked and how their operations worked to know... Yeah, well, the outcome of what happened to a lot of films and the, and and of the film prints that I've seen over the years here in New Zealand that are ex NZBC, I know the background to how they got there and where they came from for pretty much every single one of them. So um, there's a consistency there. But as for overseas, I mean, that's a, that's a very difficult question. The only person who can answer that is um, a certain person from Wigan. Well, dial him in right now. <laughs> Personally, and I've done a lot of you know, as, as you know, research into the bicycling of the of the films. You know, this, the chances are I've got it completely wrong, which is fine. I mean, I'm happy with that. But based on what I know and from what I can gather, um, you, know, you get a feel for this sort of thing. So, my whole thoughts on you know the chance of missing episodes surfacing in certain countries, etc. It's all it's all on broadcast. There's a whole there's a whole spiel. There's about two or three pages worth of uh, my 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 um, ponderings on it all on the website already. So um, I'd be pleasantly surprised if any more turn up. Put it that way. I mean, I hope I hope that's the case, but I'm not going to be I'm not going to be drawn into it because I, I, mean, I just don't know. <laughs> I'm glad you actually brought up the, the the concept of Prince being bicycled around, John. Did you know about that uh, that concept before you started uh, your research or before broadcast went up, or did it come out, out of the research itself? I was certainly aware of the fact that film prints were bicycled around uh, various countries simply because the records that Graham Howard had found, I think it was in 1990, where... Yeah, you know, the, the New Zealand prints had been sent to Singapore, and some had been sent to Nigeria, and some had been sent to Denmark, some had been sent to Iran. So, the idea that film prints were moved from country to country was certainly um, there early on. And in terms of other people knowing that, um, I don't think it was that widely known. But the fact that if New Zealand was sending film prints to other countries, then you know the good chance are that it was done. But you know, other countries were doing it too. Uh, it, it just made logical sense. So, you know, the idea of moving film print from one place to another, by finding out the air dates of those episodes in the various countries was the only way to be sure as to, you know, where film prints may have been sent to. Um, It's not until you know that Nigeria got these stories after or before Ghana or whether Timbuktu got them before um, uh, Ekatahuna, which is... in New Zealand for those listening who have no idea what I'm talking about <laughs> so until you actually know the order in which 
the films and the episodes were screened, you've got no idea of knowing yeah. the order in which they were moved around, you see. Um, and there's some contradictions have been have, have arisen because of that, because um, it was understood that Cyprus, I think it was, had sent prints to Uganda, I think it was. And yet it turns out that Uganda actually screened those episodes before Cyprus did. So why, therefore, are the records saying that the films went from A to B when B didn't need them? So those are the, those are the sorts of things which you'd never know hmm. until you actually had the air dates to, to map it all out. The more information, the more knowledge you can gather uh, about the screening history in the, of, around the world in the various countries. If you're going to start trying to look for these things, there's no point looking in the first country in the in the chain because they obviously don't have it anymore unless you then think well maybe they got it back but then you think why why would they get why would the films be sent back to them um when there's no um precedent for that happening you see if anyone's read the bicycle chains page on the website the version that's up there now is about the 12th iteration of it i've changed it so many bloody times so um and i'll probably change it again <laughs> Although the current version is the one I'm probably the most happiest about, but or well, not happiest, I mean the most confident about. But then I would have probably have said that about the tenth iteration of it, and then something occurred to me, think, oh, hold on, that doesn't make sense. I've made a good crack at it. Whether it's right, I don't know. Whether it is, isn't. Well, I mean, hey, you know, I'm I'm happy to change it. <laughs> I can change it. It's that's just one of the good things about having a website as opposed to doing all this say in print is if you need to change something, it's just a couple of keystrokes away, whereas, you know, like doing time link again, it's not just a couple of keystrokes, it's a full, <laughs> you know, page one rewrite. Yeah, and you're constantly updating it as well. Like, the last update was on the 3rd of November. It's not a static page, let's put it that way. Well, yeah, um, there, there, there are gaps. Um, you know, if, I mean, if you look at the update, the, the What's New page, there's, I don't think we updated anything for about a month. It really just comes down to, you know, if we're working on something big that takes a lot of time um, and, and everything else sort of gets pushed aside. Um, but I, I do, from time to time, update or tweak a page without announcing it on the on the on the main on on the on the what's new just simply because what I've changed isn't that important if people you know people will see it when you know will 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 find it when they um you know if if they're viewing the page anybody out there if, um who takes copies of the page and then refers to that later on you're probably like three or four updates behind yeah <laughs> um yeah, but I mean, from time to time, I'm up, I'm updating. Like the last change I made to it was to the Evil of the Daleks page. I just I added a picture, an, an illustration, which I didn't announce on the page. I mean, what's the point? I'm not going to go announcing everything, every single update. So as I say, it's it's you know, it's 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 a work in progress. It's always a work in progress. There'll always be something new I'm tweaking or adding. Or even John, the, my co-editor in, in 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 Chicago. I mean, he's always updating stuff too. So it's. There's always something new. I've got a work in progress file, which is freaking huge. <laughs> um, yeah, I go into it every now and you know, well, at least every couple of days, and I look at it, and suddenly I just put my head in my hands and go, "Oh God, <laughs> when am I going to get around to this?" And the beauty of the site is that um, for future fans, future generations, mm-hmm. literally future generations, uh, it's going to be that one-stop resource for. 
um, for, for the, the you know the, basically an, an important aspect of the commercial history of the show, isn't it? Because whereas you have <laughs> globe trotted and picked up, uh, gone through libraries and archives for, for the newspaper, you've collated it all into this one fantastic site. Uh, how, how do you feel about the, the sort of the impact that it will continue to have into the future? Great, I think it's amazing. The thing too about the site was when it first went live, if you say typed in a Google search for Doctor Who in Gibraltar, you'd probably wade through two or three pages of, of nothing. Now if you typed in Doctor Who Gibraltar, the first hit on Google will probably be the broadcast site. So it's 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 becoming a um you know a a, a, a search return <laughs> um and also too is that the site's been running it'll be gosh it'll be its fifth anniversary in february next year um and you know we've i've got a, st- a statistics um where i can view the the, the page hits and um, how, how many page views there are have happened, and one particular page has had almost 160,000 views, uh, and which is a list of the conventions that the Doctor Who conventions that have been held in the United States, um, and that's linked to a couple of Wiki, other Wikipedia pages. So, um, in, you know, Doctor Who fans in America are probably going, well, "When was that convention they went to that Colin Baker was a the guest?" They'll type in Doctor Who convention, boom, our page will be the first thing they get. Um, which is great because you know <laughs> um, they probably wouldn't be able to find it uh, otherwise. Um, and also, what what one one thing that amazes me is that one of the countries that has the highest viewing uh, page per view is is Japan. So obviously, a lot of Japanese probably in, in view of the new series, of course, they've typed in Doctor Who Japan. Perhaps I don't know. Boom, our site pops up on the search returns. I mean, it's the only way I can explain such high returns. I think Mexico also has a very high... In fact, a lot, a lot of the Latin American countries have very high page counts, which is, which is amazing, because obviously I think people, you know, new fans to the new, to the new series are looking up the show online, and, and our page, uh, the website is, 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 is you know, one, of the, one of the returns when they search. So it's certainly... Um, um, yeah, it's out there. <laughs> People are aware of it. Long after I'm, I'm dead and buried. <laughs> I, I don't know who's <laughs> going to be updating it because <laughs> there's only two of us who've got the passwords to um, <laughs> to get into the page. So once we're, we're you know we're, we're shuffled off this mortal coil, the, the, don't expect any updates because there ain't going to be any. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll work out something. I'm sure you'll work out a transition plan. I'm sh- yeah. Just make yeah, sure you do yeah. it before you go. There's nobody knocking on the door yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, John, I'm actually looking at the site right now. It's such an engaging and engrossing uh, research uh, tool that uh, I certainly thank you for it. My employer doesn't thank you for it. <laughs> oh, cool. It's fantastic. Well done. I'm really happy about it. Um, you know, The whole idea of going through and finding air dates was something I just wanted to do for myself. Mm. Initially, um, but then me being me, I thought, well, you know, I want to share this. So when I had put it all together, it was kind of like, well, how, where do I share it? Um, and you know, do it, doing it as a website was was the obvious was the obvious way because you know, keeping a work in progress, updates can be done on a regular basis. So uh, um, the fact that people are getting use out of it is 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 um, yeah is what it's you know, 
excellent. I mean, that's the whole point. John, thank you very much for being a part of this episode of 42 to Doomsday. I hope you've enjoyed it. Indeed, yeah, it's been great. If you'd like to plug um, the site and your feed, uh, your Twitter feed and anything else, uh, please go ahead. Well, the site is um, is broadcast, B-R-O-A-D-W-C-A-S-T, and it's at www.broadcast.org. And we do have a Twitter and um, uh, there's a forum, dedicated forum page on, on Gallifrey on Gallifrey Base. Um, links to all those are available on the site. And Timelink is still in print, is that correct? Um, well, no, Timelink is, um, is out of print, unfortunately. It's um, the, after, after all the copies that were, were printed off were sold, mm-hmm. um, that was it. Just, just through mutual ag- uh, agreement with me and the publisher, just simply because uh, if it was going to be updated, it needed to be, um, you know, need, need to be brought up to date. So for reasons I've already talked about, it's just uh, at this stage... Um, if, if, you can, if you find a copy in Forbidden Planet or um, if you see it in the bookshops, then snatch it up because... Uh, <laughs> or p- perhaps bombard the, uh, the publisher with emails and maybe they'll do another printing. Well, well, a funny thing too is that, uh, about it is that um, although it's a two-volume book, more copies of one volume have sold than the other. <laughs> <laughs> which perplexed me, even though the same number of copies were, pr- uh, were printed. So... So explain, um, yeah. All right then, John. So once again, thank you so much for being on the episode and uh, good luck with uh, your future endeavours with Broadcaster. Uh, as Mark has expressed, uh, it's an endlessly fascinating site and uh, we look forward to you branching out into other areas uh, as you've indicated earlier. Indeed. Thank you, John. Thank you so much, John. Not a problem. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42todoomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42todoomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.